Hello, everyone. You are listening to It's Always Saturn, the podcast from Raven Rabbit Ram. I'm Christina Langell. I am your host. Today's episode is a crossover episode with my new podcast, The Buddy Cop Cast, which is presented by MX Media, me and my partner, Megan Morrison. We have a lot of fun conversation, and then we interview interfaith reverend and author Teresa Contaxis. So please enjoy this episode. Next month, we will get back to our regularly scheduled programming, interviewing guests with Raven Rabbit Ram. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. That was like a very sexual throat clearing on my end. It was. You're like ready for something, and um, I don't know if I am. I'm not. (laughs) You know what I wish our intro could be? What? There's this like weird circus interlude in the Tool album Anima. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's not very on brand for us. It's very on brand for me. (laughs) Just weird circus music. But very intense band. That's so funny. I actually, I think I have a piece of art for you now that you say that. Is it involved weird circus shit? Because that's my bread and butter. Yeah, it's like carnival circus stuff. I just, um, I have a role that I just break all the time, which is like, that I need to, if I'm going to put up another piece of Megan art, then I need to put up something else because my house is mostly just decorated. Well, this isn't your art, so. It's not mine. I didn't make it. Okay. It's some, it's, well, I can't even remember who made it. Someone in my printmaking, my, fir- my first screen printing class made it. Hmm. I love a screen print, and I love a carnival. Yeah. I mean, I don't actually like going to carnivals. I just like weird circus music. Yeah, my I had, for the life of me, I can't figure out how to get into my old Pandora account, but I had the most amazingly curated Pandora channel called Cirque, and it was so good. It was just like a weird mix of, um, like, early 2000s, late 90s swing, like, mm-hmm. like, riot type stuff, oh, and then, like, uh, like, there's, like, Russian violin girls, and, like, global bordello, and like oh, nice. cabaret types it was just like a very weird punk yeah. kind of like what the dresden doll seemed like as okay. a vibe like way back in the day that makes sense my that was, I was thinking, that was a real interesting time in music listening was pandora radio um i kind of miss it yeah. i had a really great my favorite pandora station that i had was no scrubs radio mm. and it was fantastic and coincidentally one of my best friends in college also had a no scrubs radio and hers was very different from mine theirs was very different but that was what was kind of cool about it because you know it's so like early algorithms of music listening i i do miss pandora a lot i wish i could get into that account it's also good for working out like i just i like the radio and that's what i like about pandora i like not curating i know spotify like you can like find a playlist or whatever but there's something less like mystical about spotify in my brain than like having no idea what's coming (laughs) yeah no it's interesting it's like because we have all of these algorithms now that like cater so much specifically and they know and because they have so much information on us which i don't even want to get into thinking about that right now but that like they're always predicting what we want and maybe you don't know what I want, because I don't know what I want. And I don't trust that the information you have on me knows what I want. Yeah. So give me some randomness. Yeah. And you know what? Like, I will never actively seek out, like, oh, I want to listen to David Bowie covering Alabama song by The Doors. Like, it's just not going to happen. But if you fucking play me David Bowie covering Alabama song, I'm going to be like, show me the way. Let's do this. Let's, let's fucking do it. Exactly. Exactly. So I guess we probably started recording because that was, yeah, was like, we're well into yeah. this conversation. Which is how it goes with us. I mean, we might as well just get this out of the way so people know what they're getting into with us. Our periods finally synced up after being <laughs> life partners and buddy cops for a while. Yeah, I've I mean, been shocked that it hasn't been for a long time. I feel your emotions all the time. I didn't know why we weren't 
thinking of the period, but it finally happened. Yeah. Mine just, just kind of like time for the buddy <laughs> Mine just kind of jumped the shark and was like, all right, I'm sick of this slow moving stuff. Let's just like let's just jump in right now. Yeah. Jump the shark. Good Start pun. Pre- Thank shark you. week. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Our shark weeks have aligned. I don't think I'm I... too much of a shark. I actually have up until this point very like consistent regular visits me too mostly although things are a little extreme yesterday and I will freely admit that I okay so first of all I have anxiety second of all a fact one should know about women is that your anxiety spikes when you get your period because you're withdrawing from huge levels of hormones that have been building up leading up to that part of your cycle so you're more likely to panic during the like first day of your period and a couple days right before it. But what normally induces my panic is thinking there's something wrong with my physical body. So I don't usually have panic attacks about like social anxiety or something like that. I usually have panic attacks because I'm like, oh, I'm dying right now. Why? (laughs) So it's a double whammy because on top of spiking your anxiety, your period also brings a lot of weird physical symptoms that make me think, oh shit, what's going on? what's happening and yesterday I felt like I was losing a lot of blood <laughs> so give an anxiety person the idea that they have too much blood loss <laughs> yeah see what happens and it's a fun combo I had to text you for emergency <laughs> yeah I was gonna I was gonna tell you your your energy was very spiky was it yeah <laughs> I was like as soon as I tuned in I was like ow okay I'll go wider I'll go go bigger um (laughs) I was like laying there with my legs up the wall trying to calm down because like my heart was racing because I was so panicked but legs up the wall it's a yoga pose but also just in general you just put your legs above your head and it simulates your parasympathetic nervous system so sweetly my husband made me Christian for listeners you'll hear about him um, frequently I'm sure tofu and a fuck ton of spinach and some beans and rice Aww. to help me replenish my iron. And of course, chocolate has lots of iron in it as well. So if you're, and magnesium, both of which are very helpful for periods. And that's why we crave those things when we have our periods. But, and then this morning I made myself eggs from the yard with Ooh. a shit ton of spinach and cooked it in a cast iron pan. That's awesome. When I was in, high school I I was never like diagnosed but like like I probably have like minor anemia or something like my nails I get I get really cold when in the winter and like my nails will be purple and stuff and my father was like concerned for me so he would make me eat tons and tons of spinach and when that didn't really seem to work he actually had me eat like raw liver Mm, that's actually gross yeah real gross he like I think he well, I think he also cooked it. And then I remember him like mixing it into hummus. I don't mm. know. Yeah, I don't know. That was not my favorite solution to that scenario. But my family is very literal about <laughs> um, the imbalance of things in our bodies. It's like, oh, you need iron? This has iron. Eat a lot of these things. Well, that's like what you should actually do. It is. It is. Though we I... have to be careful because a lot of those things like especially like when it comes to produce they have a lot lower levels than they used to because 
the soil is so ravaged. You know what I found out when I was Googling in my panic yesterday, the requirements for iron for your body, just like the standard Mm -hmm. ones. For women ages 19 to 50, it's 18 milligrams. Whereas for men, it's only eight. And I was like, there's no way women know that. And we're not like, we're not eating more than twice as much iron as men. It's just not happening. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I thought about it and I was like, all right, I definitely hit 18 milligrams yesterday, making a concerted effort because I was scared that I was becoming anemic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but in general, there's no way I eat 18 most days, especially because no. like, I'm a vegetarian, but you'd be surprised. Red meat doesn't really have that much more iron in it than like if you yeah. just eat the right vegetables. And this is well, some- also where does the red meat get the iron from? The vegetables. The yeah, exactly. Cow eats grass, really, like essentially everything a cow could possibly have in its body is from grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. We are not recommending eating grass. <laughs> Unless you like Unless, eating grass. Yeah. Or you're a cat with a stomach ache. Yeah. Or a dog. This this made me think something. I wish I had blackstrap molasses. Because in our last podcast, when we did our episode on It's Always Saturn, blackstrap molasses came up also in the context of anemia. Because my mom, after I had my C-section, I lost a lot of blood. And my mom uh, made me blackstrap molasses with oatmeal. And it occurred to me... As I was thinking about like the kinds of things that you think of as like, not you probably, but many people may think of these as like holistic, like woo woo, weird, like rich suburban lady solutions to things. But to like poor people, it's just common sense. Like you just like you have to you have to find in your diet what your body needs to be okay. And uh, probably not modern poor people either. We have a lot of food deserts. We have people with very poor nutrition. But just saying like having been raised by people from Appalachia who never had any money and didn't have access to a grocery store, like it was always that very basic equation. Like, well, you don't have enough protein. You need to eat beans and rice together. Like you don't have enough iron. You need to eat oatmeal and blackstrap molasses together. And like now you might find like blackstrap molasses in like an organic health food store for like a bajillion dollars. And it's like, this is good for your iron levels. And it's marketed like some sort of brilliant thing, but it's just like, it's just the basic knowledge and wisdom of like someone who's in tune with both what's available to eat, (laughs) what a body needs, just like this information that was just part of like basic human living before we got so disconnected from. It's like the old wives remedies for things like these things have been around forever. And I, I feel like the like woo metaphysical community has taken this real shift into like wealth and white people and and all of that do you know what I mean and I, I think that has maybe something to do with I don't want to get into like a political conversation but like I think that has something to do with like the conservative right and anti-vax oh, yeah. and stuff like that like I think it's there's this real association between that and I like anything I think it is far more nuanced than what the media shows us that's what I'll say I agree there is definitely a really strong weird overlap between like the evangelical Christian right and woo-woo stuff that I maybe it's always been there I don't know I mean because like if you go to a certainly my Appalachian family very (laughs) very old-fashioned Christians and you know they're 
what I would consider like witchcraft is like their <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> Which is there's an irony there. We've commodified it. A lot of things that are just more like a basic relationship to life and the earth. Which I feel like circles to something you were talking about yesterday in one of our many conversations about communicating with the earth mm. and, and that being like a, you know, like a lot of indigenous people, they talk about communicating with the earth and they literally mean communicating with the earth. It's not like a metaphor. Yeah. Oh yeah. I also just wanted to say one of the other things I do, which this isn't directly, I think, related to periods. There are actual studies that have been done and are continuing to be done. You can find them on like PubMed and stuff with turkey tail and um, in terms of helping breast cancer patients, especially as they recover from chemo with immunotherapy and stuff. But turkey tail is like known in the world of people who apply that kind of medicine of like, oh, this is what the earth offers for this thing. So turkey tail is known as a great tincture for women's health. That was also part of my like triaging my anxiety. And cacao has huge sources of magnesium and iron. So I am currently drinking coffee with cacao and turkey tail and nice so ladies if you're out there can't hurt right yeah (laughs) megan you know that like i have a giant pet peeve of people saying like science says because like (laughs) you better be able to back that up with an actual scientist and not just like how how our community can sometimes interpret (laughs) science to, (laughs) to support ideas that maybe if you gave it to a scientist might not agree <laughs> but in this case actual like medical doctors study the relationship with turkey tail so you you have the christina uh promise that if you ever hear me say science i did mean science <laughs> and she has checked her references <laughs> yeah. um does uh does microsymbiotic uh forage turkey tail They do. Yeah, they they have tinctures. The ones that I have. So my husband used to work with one of the guys from Mycosymbiotics making various mushroom tinctures. And now that guy works with Mycosymbiotics, who are friends of ours. And um, that's a good place to get your turkey tail tinctures. We'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. They have lots of other good tinctures. Lion's mane, good for your brain, all kinds of stuff. And they are Harrisburg based and are doing a lot of other really cool things within this community and within the field of mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Shall we, shall we segue into our Friday excursion? Yeah. Okay. Let's do that. So on Friday, MX Media took a little uh, team building networking excursion to St. Clair, Pennsylvania. Mm, yes. Uh, um, which looks a lot like most of the little mountain towns in Pennsylvania and probably the greater Appalachia area to see the vagina monologues. And some vagina painting <sighs> tool and vaginas, like tool, like ballet tutu material tool. Not yeah. Like Archways, mentioned. like vagina portals, which is obviously what vaginas are. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> clearly and it was really cool christina knows a couple of the people that were in it she does improv with them so that was kind of our oh we should go and see them and also i personally we both do but i personally love the vagina monologues i have performed in them three times myself now she's got the bug to put on vagina monologues 
I know this is what happens to me. Like I, I've dipped my toes in theater so many times in my life that every time I go and see a show, I'm like, I need to be doing this again. And I think a lot of it comes from the community that theater can be. When I think about my times in theater productions, it's some of the times that I've seen, I've felt the most like held and seen and like the bonds that you build in theater are bonds that last for life. Actually, that's a interesting, really common thread. Aside from our friendship, most of my longest and closest friendships were cultivated in the theater, <laughs> um, especially female friendships. Not to I'm a Leo them, moon, but... so I'm basically theater anyway. Well, and that's the thing you, you can, already are. You You're a performer as well. We just <laughs> that's just not how we met, though. We did meet because of performers, so that's true. And that was that was a theater of the mind. <laughs> it sure was. It sure was. You know what? I did put on a full scale five year production. <laughs> I was the director, the coordinator. The stage manager. <laughs> you also won best performance for staying sane. <laughs> it was touch and go there for a while. Uh, Patrick and I are my my fiance and one of Christina's best friends as well. We were just talking the other day about how Christina is our mutual best friend. We're watching Veep right now, which is about fictional presidency and everything. And there's this like ongoing joke about how she goes to the spa, which is a mental asylum. <laughs> I don't know why we don't call things asylums more. It's a really great word. I mean, it obviously has a lot of baggage. Yeah, but it also just means like safety and it sounds fucking cool. That's true. All right. We're right, gonna doesn't to... it? Does it mean yeah. safety? I don't know. I'm... Listen, get your disinformation here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I trusted you when you said that. I, I, I didn't I trusted me it. too. That's the problem. When you're like smart enough that people trust you you get high on your own supply like you just think everything that you say is right yeah okay asylum is the protection granted by a state to someone who has left their home country as a political refugee or shelter or protection from danger or an institution for the care of people who are mentally ill and then it says dated (laughs) next to that (laughs) don't say that is basically what dated means (laughs) yeah they're like this word has too much baggage at this point we can mostly blame england for that that's i don't know if that's actually true that is some disinformation you can always blame england if you're irish that's true yeah (laughs) which is really funny because a lot of people that are irish are also english Oh yeah, he's super English. Like, and I'm very English. Yeah. I mean I got I got like Welsh and English and Scottish and Irish and everything. Yeah, I mean not to get political, but the whole world's a little bit English because they really they yeah. really took some liberties. <laughs> they got in there. Ooh. I'm sorry, but I really have to pee. Oh, okay. Well if we're gonna dovetail off of the conversation about people's backgrounds. Heredity hereditary heredity where people are from one thing i find really fascinating is as far as the settling of america goes we're not going to get into the actual political conversation about that but as far as the settling of america goes it's very interesting that a lot of people of scottish and irish descent settled in appalachia which has geographically a lot of similarities to the land that they were already from. Pennsylvania has a lot of similarities to Germany. I'm saying this having not actually been to Germany. 
or Scotland or Ireland have been to England. But it's just fascinating to me that people, the people who settled America often ended up in geographical areas that felt similar to the places that they were originally from. I love that fact. And there's a really great book which talks about the way America was settled. And the author kind of basically gives like a hypothetical argument about how state divides are very arbitrary and don't actually like contain people with all of the same ideas. Like he get, he kind of talks a lot about how like the idea of like the American dream, there's no one American dream. There's American dream. There's the American dream for different sets of people, but we have different core values and he breaks them down into like 11 different areas of the United States based on how they were settled. And one of my favorite facts about this book, and Christine, I know you've already heard me say this probably a dozen times. Well, I actually read this book at your suggestion. You I did. say it's Colin Woodward. Is that who wrote it? That sounds right. I'll check. Um, <laughs> we'll put a link to, we'll put a link to it. Um, is that Pennsylvania has, we're from, you know, we live in Pennsylvania now, so I'm fixated on that. I have family from here. Pennsylvania has like one of the highest collections of those very of those 11 nations within it it's not 11 but it's like at least at least four maybe five of them because of the way that it crosses over like pennsylvania is part of greater appalachia it's if not part of the tidewater super close to that new amsterdam i'm forgetting them it's been a while since i've read this book but it's just interesting and i've heard i don't know if this has come out i heard this a couple years ago that he was actually working on another book that got a little bit deeper into the actual genetics of this the settlers and I don't even know exactly how he's doing that research but the first book was super interesting apparently he's a Pulitzer Prize winner or or nominee (laughs) let's get ahead of ourselves Mr. Woodard maybe next time um and I will say too that it's it's the book is actually what the 11 nations of North America or maybe um so it it does like kind of also include a bit of Mexico in his description of the way that things were settled. Sorry, I misquoted what the name of the book is. The book is called American Nations, A History of the 11 Rival Region Cultures in North America. And you will find a link to it in our show notes. If you have any interest in perusing it. Um, and speaking of where people come from, <laughs> we're going to circle back to the vagina monologues. Uh, yes. Oh, are we going to talk more about the vagina monologues? Oh, we come out of vaginas, I see. You see what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> it was a great production. You can't go see it because it was just that weekend. So, But it is something that is performed every year in February in a lot of different places. The play was originally written in, I think, 96, 1996 by Eve Ensler and was like a one-woman show. But it has like seriously grown since then to something that is put on by larger groups of women, Eve Ensler often writes a new monologue, featured monologues, and all, most all of the productions that are put on are for charity. So the money, some of the money goes to a national campaign, and then you're also, they also donate a portion to a local charity, which is really cool. Become this whole like campaign, I call it V-Day, until the violence stops. I did my last production of it, I want to say in like 2014, something like that. And it's funny, I've been thinking about it the last couple of years because it was something I really enjoyed. And I was like, oh, I feel like we're kind of like, this is maybe something that isn't as relevant now. Like, I feel like initially when early, 
in the earlier 2000s, there wasn't as much focus on LGBTQTA plus rights. And is this really inclusive? Because it, it, again, it was written in like the late 90s. So it, there was much more of a fixation on actual womb carrying, carrying yes. women. Feminism um, that didn't grow from the 90s would be often identified or have some overlaps with like turfiness now. Yeah. But and I, I even, feminism has grown. <laughs> it has. And I would actually note too that there are portions of the monologues that have been removed that were like, I think originally not intended to be offensive, but could be interpreted that way nowadays. For example, there's no longer a Latina moan in the woman who liked to make vaginas happy monologue. Mm, that's smart. Yeah. It is aware of itself and its presence within the world. And as we were watching it, one of the things that really came to my mind was that, like, unfortunately, a lot of these stories are still very relevant. They are maybe not as inclusive of what being a woman and feminism is now, but a lot of these things are still happening today. And that's mm -hmm. why something like this, I think, is still very important. Yes. I think, you know... And if you look at what's happening in Iran right now, that's what that's what came to my mind. And they referenced the Ukraine and where rape is being used as an act of war. Yeah. Which is happening anywhere there's war that's happening. Just yeah. FYI, in case you've ever thought like, but we don't do that. No. That's happening. That's a systemic tactic of war that has been implemented for as long as there has been vaginas. That's terrifying. So I don't know. It's a good show. It makes you laugh. It definitely makes you cry. It definitely makes you think. And if you have the inclination to see it next February, you see it somewhere in your area, I would recommend going and maybe, supporting it. Maybe you'll see us put it on. Yeah. If, if Megan has her way with things. I uh, would be remiss not to mention that yesterday was Valentine's Day. I'm, I mean, I think Pat's just lucky to be with me. I'm lucky to be with him too, but I'm not someone that makes a big deal of, out of it. I think for one, it's always felt very commercial to me. And then having worked in restaurants for over 15 years, I am so jaded. Yeah. <laughs> as far as Valentine's Day goes, like I am like end of the night on like end of the 14th, it is 86 romance. Like there is no more romance left. Like I am done. And for anyone who has never worked in a restaurant or watched a television show where restaurants are referenced, 86 means we are out. It is gone. There is no more. <laughs> don't, don't ask for it. <laughs> I was excited about today. And that is part of why we are launching our podcast today. I just want to touch on some happening in the sky. Uh, my sister is an astrologer and uh, in the future, we will get a little bit more of her take on things. For today, I want to bring up that Venus is conjunct Neptune in Pisces today. So if you don't know what that means, Venus is exalted in Pisces, which means other than like her home, <laughs> she's at home in Taurus and she's at home in Libra, but she is exalted, like stoked out of her mind. People love her. She's like showing up on the red carpet and everybody's stoked about it in Pisces. And that's actually where my natal Venus is. So of course I also have a huge affinity for Venus and Pisces and Neptune rules. Pisces is the modern ruler of Pisces. I should say, I believe Jupiter is the ancient ruler of Pisces. Don't quote me on that. 
anyway neptune's like hey i'm like the ocean guy and pisces is like hey i'm fish and so obviously (laughs) they're stoked about each other so all three of these things are just like stoked to be together and for us and i say us this is gonna depend on your chart but megan and i both happen to be capricorn Capricorn rising rising. (laughs) (laughs) so our houses are roughly the same when you get into the specific degrees, they're not always going to be exactly the same. But uh, this is our third house. Pisces is a lot of our third house, which is your house of communication. So for us, we're like, of course, we have to launch our podcast on the day that these two beautiful, excited planets are making love in Pisces, <laughs> which is also a very it's not known for its communication abilities as a sign it's kind of known for its lack of structure (laughs) (laughs) but it's also known for its love and its oneness and its sense of unity and mystery and all these things that we love so there you have it and also today is wednesday which is mercury's day which is a great day for communication so if you can you can't, you know, just skip life for a month because it's not a communicative sign. Mm-mm. You just, you take Mercury by its little Mercury horns and you do what you do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> also tomorrow. Enjoying in all astrology, of those images. Yeah. Tomorrow in astrology, uh, Saturn and the sun will be conjunct, which Saturn, it's our guy. And obviously they'll be in Aquarius. So here's a fun fact about astrology. Whatever sign it is right now, that's where the sun is. That's what that means. So So when if for those of us, well, not us, we know just enough to be dangerous, but for those maybe not as familiar with astrology, when you say I'm a Sagittarius, that's something I would say. And Christine is an Aries. We're talking about your sun sign. So where the sun was when you were born. Whereas our rising sign is what was on the horizon yes, when we were born. And these are all very literal astronomical locations. This isn't like just a made up system unto itself. In fact, <laughs> my husband's grandmother was at our house a couple of days ago and she really loves astronomy. So she has this app on her phone where you point it at the sky and it shows you was whatever's in the sky but it was daytime and the kids were running around our house pointing at things but you can still see where the constellations are in the world just because it's daytime doesn't mean that the stars aren't there yeah. um so, we just can't see them so they're showing and they're like oh look mommy like the sun is inside of this person holding this jar and i was like yeah the sun's inside of aquarius right now it's and then and very literally and then they found the scales which they know that they're libras and they're like oh look the moon's on top of the scales and i was like yeah it's moon and libra right now so it's like it's a very literal if you look at astronomy you probably don't need your own telescope to figure it out you you just (laughs) you know get an app on your phone or just check it out like it's it's just what's actually happening in the sky that we've ascribed mental and emotional and social meaning to I would also like to just point out one of the things that isn't literal or makes sense maybe immediately is that Aquarius is actually an air sign, contrary to a lot of people's belief that it is a water sign. It is the water bearer, not a water sign. It's an air sign. 
don't be fooled by the word aqua that would be too easy yeah this is one of those little tricksy tricksy tricksies and actually interesting too i knew there was a reason that this is what i channeled this month for print club give it to us is the time so this so i do a subscription based service i am an intuitive artist by birth and trade Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you came out of the vagina portal for art I did. And to (laughs) spread the word. (laughs) So I've been offering this service for a little over a year now. I call it my monthly channel of print club. And so it's a subscription-based service. You can sign up for it on my website. We'll put some stuff in the uh, show notes so you can find this if you're interested. So each month you get a print with a channeled message. And so the way that I do this, um, I tune in intuitively and I channel a visual image and then a message to go along with it. And this is a general channeling for the people within the collective group of subscribers, but also all of us in general, anyone that happens to come across it. And this month, well, let me step back for a second and say, I noticed about four months in last year that I was maybe unintentionally, or say unconsciously, (laughs) channeling the major arcana in tarot. And so I've kind of shifted my intention to to find that. And so another part of this print club is that I'm kind of building a tarot deck, which is pretty cool. So you can actually be a part of me creating this cool tarot deck. Um, but this month, I channeled the star, who, if you are familiar with the Rider Waite Smith deck, which is the one that most of us are the most familiar with, iconically. It was created by a female artist in the early 1900s in America. It depicts a woman holding pitchers of water and pouring them with a star above her head and a beautiful landscape in the back. And I've always kind of associated with Aquarius. I'm I think that is an actual. It is actually I think if if you Google it, you will find that other people also associate them. Yeah. Um and that's the thing with there's a there's a lot of nuances and symbolism within tarot. It's a really interesting tool for self-reflection and in anyone's intuitive practice. But also just even if intuition and being psychic and stuff like that isn't for you tarot is a great way to center your thoughts and your daily meditations i find so this month i channeled the star which does depict a water bearer and you're going to get a little sneak preview of the message i'm going to read it for you today i hope that this uh, helps you find some space for connection reflection and calm Um, And these just got delivered to my print club, so I'm not spoiling it for anyone. If you're listening to this, follow, check our Instagram to see a picture. Yeah, yeah. We'll post a picture today so you can can take a look at the image that goes along with this channeled message. For February, many doors open to you, and many more are opening. Follow the star with the points of your life path. Do you find yourself lingering on the threshold? What holds you back from realizing your truest and most saturated self? The star is the water bearer, light as air, born from the very dust as woman in her first moments, as well as what came before her. Before is now, and now is the future. A pastoral landscape, ever-changing, ever-present, as constant as change itself. When the sun sets, it also rises. Which illusions do you cling to? What safeties do they whisper of in nostalgic tones? 
bearing witness is essential to our humanity, our growth, and our ability to move past our survived trauma. Who do we honor with our gaze? Upon whom do you bestow this gift? You are a moment in time, an amulet of celestial existence. Who gazes on your vulnerability and cradles it with starlight? The mirror simply reveals. It is the viewer who places judgment on what they behold. Who do you behold in the mirror of starlight? Where can you reach for magic in your life? Revitalize your youthful awe of the world through experiences that require imagination, compassion, and creativity. The number of choices you have is only limited by your perspective. Well done. I will say this, not to get too self-promotional, but if you could sense any editing vibes in there that you liked, uh, (laughs) my specialty as an editor is working with channelers. Specifically, I have a few regular clients who are mediums and such, astrologers, etc. People who use their intuition to write. And so I love to edit that. So if you happen to like what Megan's got going on and you're like, oh, I like writing intuitive things. I want someone to edit them. Hit me up. And I would say as an intuitive that channels and gets very anxious about editing her own stuff, having your eyes and um, abilities on that has made, I think, just the whole channelings themselves more potent. I still feel like they are very much my voice, but I'm like, wow, I sound so much better than I did. I sound so clear. (laughs) There's times where I'm like, wait, did she change that that much? She must have changed that a lot because that didn't make any sense. And then I go back and look at the edits that you made and they're they're very calculated and um yeah i usually just like move succinct. a comma or something <laughs> listen <laughs> it's fantastic <laughs> so if you want to see megan's print club image and this tarot pool and i might send a picture of my breakfast <laughs> you can find that at our instagram is mx underscore media underscore creative is that right Okay, so I pulled a little three-card spread, as I do every day, but shout out to Camelia Elias, or Elias, I'm not sure how she pronounces it, but I've been reading tarot for, oh god, I'm super old, Um, (laughs) over, over 20 years now, gosh darn it. Okay, so I've been reading tarot for a long time, and I just read this book, Read Like the Devil, and it added so much more nuance and interesting perspectives to how I read tarot. So I just want to shout that out. She gives classes and has books and stuff. So check her out. I'll put a link there for her if you're interested. But uh, today's pool, and I actually use the Aquarian tarot deck. So if you read that, that's about the Marseille tarot deck, which does not have images for the minor arcana, the pip cards. It just has the suit and the number of the thing in the suit. The way that you would look at a deck of playing cards. Again, not to get too deep in the weeds, but there are, you know, if you want to learn more about things like that, there's cardomancy. People read cards using just regular playing cards. There's a lot to be learned. We won't get into that here because that's not why you're listening to me right now. (laughs) Anyway, eight of swords is our first. 
And so in this deck, the Eight of Swords shows a woman bound and blindfolded, surrounded by eight swords, which are driven into the ground, which is noteworthy for my upcoming interpretation, followed by the Emperor, who is like Big Daddy. I have a hard time separating the Emperor from my father-in-law, because in this deck, I think he kind of looks like my father-in-law, but also the Emperor is associated with Ares. And you can see in this deck, there's little rams on his throne. And uh, my father-in-law is an Aries and I'm an Aries. Uh, I think it's interesting because the emperor is uh, very thoughtful and in my mind, like calm, like he's, you, you have to be on a pretty even keel to run an empire, right? Like, yeah, which is funny because in my mind, Aries is like impulsive and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure there's a lot of explanation as to why these things go together. Partially, I'm sure just because Aries is like the life bringer, the bringer of spring and emperor is like big daddy. So, and you know, Aries, it's like very phallic energy. So that's, that's a good connection, but. I'm just like, every time you say big daddy, I'm like cat on a hot tin roof. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I could hear. So our third card is the King of Rods, and he's an interesting king in this deck. He is facing to the left, which is oftentimes when we see cards like a king or an emperor, we see them facing outward. I like to think that the King of Rods is facing to the left because the King of Rods is a man of action. Rods are fire. Rods are getting shit done. Rods are inspiration. Rods are the momentum of the world. They are the dicks of the world. I, sorry, there's a lot of phallic energy in me as a person. <laughs> I, I, I love it. I love, I loved it. I love the thrusting out and you could tell it's getting close to spring because like I get more excited about it as spring comes and I'm, <laughs> it's my time, but like, I love just like thrusting out and like seeding the world anywho (laughs) so i like to think that's why he is facing uh to the left because he is like going somewhere he is not a stationary king so ultimately if you put these three cards together you have to me what i see here is this guy the king of rods is looking to the emperor to say hey are you gonna help her or not and the emperor's like no you know what those swords are in the ground they're not going to hurt her she needs to get out of there herself she can figure this out i'm chill i'm just gonna sit here remain impassive i'm not looking at you i'm not looking at her i am looking straight forward i am not going to interfere with this because she can figure this out herself and that's basically the, that that's what the spread is saying so, so i realized that just told a story about the cards not so much about how that's relevant to our day but essentially there's this impulse to act coming from that king of rods and there's a feeling of inaction or inability to act and those two things are seemingly at odds but at the end of the day one has to use the mind the sword the ability to cut you have to realize that all those swords are there all they can do at this point is be used at your disposal you can cut yourself out of there you can get out they're not being held against you they're you're good so 
use that impulse to act, to use your brain to make your next step in life, as opposed to waiting for someone to make a decision or act on your behalf. You need to just, just do it, which again, Aries energy, I'm very much about just, just do it right now. Just do it. Why would you wait? (laughs) But in this case, the cards agree with me. Just do it right now. Don't wait. Well, and to connect it to my channeling from today as a, is a blindfold, like the blindfold, what illusions do you cling to? How are you blinding yourself? Yeah. Like what safety does that provide for you? Yeah. And are you actually preventing yourself? Yeah. What holds you? Why do you linger on the threshold? Yeah. Get in there. Get in there. Penetrate Follow the that world. rod out there. Penetrate the world. <laughs> mm. Mm. fantastic um so i know that we we should probably start talking about what our podcast is actually about but i would like to mention three upcoming things okay quick just because they're coming well two of them are next week so this would be a good time to mention them because they will be done by the time our next episode comes out the first has to do with intuition Um, And one of our clients, if you know you're intuitive or think you might be intuitive or are interested in learning more about your own intuition, uh, Maggie Salter, psychic medium, who full disclosure is my mother, but I would not promote her unless I actually believed in what she does, (laughs) is offering a evening workshop next Tuesday, February 21st at 7 p.m. I am intuitive. This is a great introduction class, little mini workshop. It's also a lead in to her longer intuitive mentorship program, which she has a new round of that starting the following week. Christina just took this class with my mom uh, recently and I retook it. I was supposed to be a teacher and then ended up just kind of taking it again because it was too much fun. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, if she needs around. <laughs> any more observers <laughs> to just sit there, I'll take the class again, too. <laughs> um, and this is all gearing up for her first intuitive mentorship, too, starting in June, which I am super excited about because I took her intuitive mentorship one program several years ago, and she doesn't teach the level two as often because not as many people want to go on to it. So she does a couple rounds of level one to have enough people for level two. So I'm really excited. If you take IMP one this coming this month, you could be an IMP two with me and Christina. Just saying, just saying. (laughs) And then I will do a little bit of self-promotion here. I, I offer um, intuition and Reiki services in a variety of places. We'll have some links to that, but I want to specifically talk about um, one of my new offerings, which is going to be occurring on the third Monday of each month. I'm going to be offering an evening guided meditation. If you are in the Harrisburg area, I have limited in-person spots for this out of uh, Reiki by Ricky, which we'll have to talk about her in another episode because she's phenomenal. And I will also have a virtual login for this The bonus to the in-person spots is that you also get a little bit of hands-on Reiki. And this will be a continuing series that I will be doing every third Monday. It starts at 6 p.m. So there will be links to that. And I will shortly also be offering packages. So you can buy like three and get a discount if you want to make this a part of your 
wellness routine. I do guided visuals, lots of singing bowls. If nothing else, it will be the most luxurious nap you've taken in a very long time. Mm. Sometimes that's what you need. Yeah. Sometimes I think when I do something like a sound healing or even just like a meditation, going to the salt room, doing, doing mm. anything where I'm like, like, cause I'll go into it. Like, like it's an acid trip. Like, Oh, I'm going to have some thoughts. This is going to blow my mind. Or even like, I'll go on like a weekend long silent retreat and be like, this is going to be a game changer. And then it's just like, all I did was rest. And it turns out that's what I needed. <laughs> that's okay. So yeah. if you're one of those people who like gets like really amped up for like whatever psychedelic treasures your brain's ready to unleash on you through meditation or spiritual work it's okay when that doesn't happen it's every experience doesn't need to be a lightning bolt which I feel like is one of those things that you're saying that's also a lesson for you yes yeah no (laughs) which I feel like is half of my intuitive practice yeah I channel a message and I'm like I was supposed to do this for someone else but this just feels like it's all for me (laughs) giving away the secrets yeah well you know listen full disclosure if your essential trait of being an Aries is like that gung-ho get it out there attitude my essential trait of being a Sagittarius is giving you way more information and truth than is probably necessary yeah gotta expand it I always joke and the words on the information uh, ever write a memoir. It will be, but I digress. Rose Morrison's story. (laughs) Interestingly, uh, Megan's Mercury is in Sagittarius as well. Right. Yeah. Which it doesn't like to be there. (laughs) That's okay. My Mercury's in Pisces where it also doesn't like to be at all. (laughs) So (laughs) We are working with a handicap and I think doing just fine. (laughs) And actually, you you know, as you say that, it's really more the Mercury placement in Sagittarius than the sun in Sagittarius that makes me an (laughs) over-communicator. My mom said to me just the other day, she was like, you know, sometimes you don't have to tell people everything, (laughs) which just feels wrong in my body, but I know she's probably right. (laughs) It's so funny because I spoke to her recently and she was like, did you know? something personal about your family and I was like yeah and she was like of course you did (laughs) (laughs) Megan tells you everything (laughs) I'm actually now wondering where my mom's mercury is because she is a poker face when she wants to be yeah yeah she's an she's an interesting one but yeah it's gotta be close she's a Pisces so her mercury has got to be probably either Pisces, Aries, or Aquarius, because it doesn't get that far away from the sun in its yeah. orbit. I know her Mars There's is a sun in... astro fact for people. <laughs> yeah. I know her Mars is in Aries, because that we have that in common. But those are the things I have. I mean, we have a lot of other things we would love to um share with you and promote. Yeah. But we will perhaps save that for our next episode. Yeah. Well, and also just like check out our show notes. Mm-hmm. They will have the links to all the stuff that we do. Megan's got a Reiki class coming up. Mm-hmm. You can also always commission her for art and stuff. You can always commission me for voiceover work, writing and editing, mm-hmm. you know, all of those sorts of self-promotional things. Also, this one I will give a little bit of detail on because it's next week as well. And every second and fourth Wednesday, 
you can find Megan and I live and in person in York at the 1881 Salt Sanctuary, where we offer intuitive readings, Reiki, guided meditations, and our signature 10th house reading, where we help you deal with stuff for either your career or your business. Because we found ourselves doing that a lot in our business outside of our actual normal tasks of media and marketing. So we were like, hey, we could offer this as an intuitive service because a lot of times people don't necessarily need you to design something. They just need another pair of eyes, set of hands, channel to think about the issues at hand. On to the the point of the podcast today. (laughs) It is our pleasure to have interviewed the, I don't know, how do you describe Teresa? Vivacious. Vivacious. That's a good one. She reminds me so much of Judy Garland. Yeah. She even like a little sounds like her a little bit. Yeah. Mm, yeah. You know, I don't think I actually like settled on that realization until you said it. But like as soon as you said it, I was like, that's what I've been circling. Yeah. yeah. It's even a little bit Liza, but I mean Liza's a, a whole a lot of Judy. Bit. Yeah. <laughs> that's how moms work. <laughs> As you will find if you check out anything of my mother's. (laughs) She is an interfaith reverend and a writer. And her book, The Littlest Sailboat, is, it's got um, some like little prince, Jonathan Livingston Seagull sort of vibes where it's not really written to any particular age group. It's something you can find wisdom in as an adult but it's written in a fashion that you could read it to a child and I don't know I learn something different every time I look at it I've been working with it for almost a year now she's been my client I work with her on her blogs and other things but we've been working together for about a year and it's been such a pleasure to get to know her and I even after all that time, I still, like I said, find something different every time I re-engage with this book. I have not been working with her quite as long as you have, but we have the pleasure of visiting her in her lovely lakeside home in December, January, deep winter. And I was just overwhelmed by her hospitality and her openness and she's just like an incurable optimist. I feel like we probably could have stayed up all night just talking with her. Yeah, absolutely. And she's a mom. Mm -hmm. She's got a a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience and also remains like so humble, humble and like just always a learner. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised she's not a Sagittarius to be honest with you. It's in there somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> you can see our links for Teresa in the show notes as well. You can find her on Facebook. You can check out her website, TeresaContaxis.com or the com. Both will get you there. You can buy her book at IP Books or on Amazon or wherever one buys a book these days, Barnes and Noble has it too you can engage with her you can read her blogs her blogs are really really something she'll just take a topic and make it accessible I mean she she loves the phrase put on another pair of glasses and honestly she'll take something 
that you may have thought a lot about or heard a lot about in your life and be like oh my god this is entirely different through Teresa's eyes um she'll tackle big stuff like non-duality she did a great series on the beatitudes she touches on a lot of a lot of topics from christianity um she touches on a lot of buddhist concepts i guess that's the thing about being an inter- interfaith reverend <laughs> you touch on a lot of different things but she's she's just she's got a very unique way about her and you'll hear that in our interview so without further ado here we go here's Teresa. thank you so much for listening everyone I feel like I've really gotten to know you and gotten to appreciate your voice as a writer. And I really look forward to what's to come with your writing. Thank you. It's, it's fun because I never thought I'd write. It just seemed like something I would never do. I'm a bit dyslexic. I'm ADD. I was terrible in English. I always joked around the reason I can't speak too is one was hard enough for me. <laughs> I I can't spell for beans, which is why I probably never, uh, when, even in school, I never used big words. I used words that I, I knew I could spell and not get wrong because I was too lazy to work, look them up. But in the end, I think it was helpful for me because it, I think one of the uh, things that I like about the little sailboat is it's simple without big words that I have to look up to understand. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that too. My husband was a philosophy major and we always get in little spats about how way too long some of the philosopher's books are and just too convoluted and too wordy. And like the first metaphor, they got it right. They didn't need to throw in all these extra words. But I guess each their own, but I really appreciate the economy of, of your words because you get the point across. And I mean, a lot of people would argue that, you know, the more potent in the fewest amount of words is, you know, the best way to get a message across, I would say. Well, and it also makes it much more accessible to a broader audience, which I think it's a book that it's, it meets you where you are, which is, I think, really in essence, a, a big part of the book. And my experience of the first time that I read through it was it reminded me a lot of The Little Prince, which is a favorite of both Christina and mine. And in that regard, there's a beautiful simplicity and economy of the words. But within that space, you allow personal exploration for the reader. And that allows a personal connection to be made with the writing. Thank you. It, it was, I know that was, it was definitely spirit inspired. But if you think of inspire, it's in spirit, you know, so any inspiration comes from spirit. I never even thought about that. Inspiration. I wonder if that connects back to breath in some fashion. I don't know why now that I I wouldn't be. Yeah, but it would seem to make some sense because, you know, spirit is breath. It's wind, which you can consider breath. So. I know that you started your journey with spirit on your, in your official little author bio, you talk about when you're pregnant with your third child, yeah, your daughter, that that was kind of when you started your journey. And one thing that I really admire both about your book and about you in general is that you like exude this 
humility that is like you always talk about like being like a beginner on your journey and stuff like that even though you've accomplished so much and and have like such a wealth of experience and things to say well but Wayne Dwyer (laughs) okay so he used to say that he really didn't come up with anything new he read a lot digested a lot and his writings came from there so he said in some ways I have nothing new I'm just giving you the same message that I've read different ways and I sort of think that's what I do I don't think it's anything new it's just digesting what I read. I I always, when I read a book, I take notes when it's a good book. And I mean, I don't necessarily even read them again, but when I write, I remember things. When did you start reading for a purpose? Like when did you start feeling like there was a calling there beyond just your own personal study? It well, it started the day I, I talk, I talk about sometimes where I, I was a smoker and I kept quitting and starting and quitting and starting. And I wanted to be done with it. And I went to a hypnotist and it was actually the first time spirit got my intention. I was sitting there, self-hypnosis, learning how to do that to quit smoking. And all of a sudden with my eyes closed, I felt a bright light come on me. And at that moment, the sun did hit the window just right. So I like opened my eyes and I felt like I saw, now I know it wasn't there, but I saw a dove come through the window and land on my shoulder. And when it did, I had so much peace. I've never felt it before. And when it was over, I just wanted it again. And I was an agnostic for sure. I wasn't an atheist, but definitely an agnostic. And I went, okay. I went to bed that night and probably said my first prayer in years and years and years. And I said, okay, here's the deal. That happens to me one more time. I'm in hook, line, and sinker, and I'll go wherever it's going to take me. And about three weeks later, it happened again. And then next day I found out I was pregnant with the third. But as soon as it happened again, I I was all in. And I started by calling people I knew have done things. And so one person led me on my first retreat. And it was a wonderful retreat. I was eight and a half months pregnant, sleeping on uh, on a cement floor. Because (laughs) by my age, they thought, oh, she's one of the younger ones. They didn't know I was pregnant. So they put me on a cement floor and I, I, you know, trying to get up because I gained a lot of weight with the last one. I gained 60 pounds. I was big. I thought it was twins. Glad it was not. (laughs) Because I don't know. It would have been hard with four. But um, then that weekend was the weekend. It was even more so. And after that weekend, it was all I could do is read. I became a sponge, like just wanted to read. And the only time I read a non uh, a fictional book is if I was at a beach and I just needed something to read. And even eventually that ended. And even when I was on the beach, I was reading to soak something in. That's really fascinating. You- I, I have, yeah, one, one short, just like general aside to what you're saying is I, 
I'm chuckling because it's like I've, I've had these conversations with my mom as well. And I feel like there's, I, these women of like generation or so before us, I hear them talk about feet when they were pregnant and all the things they did when they were pregnant. And I feel like there's so much more of a lean towards like pillows and cushioning and and like all the things you can't do when you're pregnant. Um, so I just think that's wonderful that you're just doing what you needed to. But then I it also makes me wonder about the the correlations between delving into a spiritual practice at that point in your life when you think as like throughout the period of you becoming a mother and just the magical portals that we we are as women the, those of us who have wounds of being able to bring things into the world and how I wonder how that might be an activating agent for our own spiritual exploration I guess I I do think I think I had postpartum a lot more than I thought I did. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I did have a, I was in a depression. And when you have a kid, when you're pregnant before the kid is even a year every time, because they're nine months apart, mm -hmm. no, 10 months. So they're, and I would always go to buy something to make me feel better, mm -hmm. which of course never did because I would buy, I'd be like, oh, I'll buy a new car. There's a problem. I had to then pay for it. And then it would be a depression of like, oh, where am I going to get the money to pay for it? How are we going to do this? How could have I done this to my husband? How are we going to, you know, and or clothes or whatever, whatever it was just, and I still buy too many things, but not, it's different now because now it's not to be happy. Like I'm going to find something to make me happy because I'm not, you're never gonna, that has to come from the inside. And as once you really understand that and you buy something and you have the money for it, it's icing, but I no longer feel would have to buy something, whether I had the money or not. When I first started realizing it's the inside out, I would actually have to tell myself, okay, really, is that dress going to make you happy? And if so, for how long are you buying it? Because it's a statement that dress is something that, that you're expressing yourself with, or are you buying it to feel better for the moment and it's all gone? And I think you can, I can honestly say a lot of times it's, it was just for the moment, just somehow spending money made me happy. Part of your message is such a helpful thing because it's a, it addresses like a very modern American problem. Like <laughs> that sort of consumerism, it's not, so it's not a spiritual problem that the Buddha was running into. It just didn't exist. Like there wasn't all of this stuff everywhere at everyone's disposal. There wasn't this option to just go out and consume more stuff as, as a distraction, which isn't to say I'm sure they had their own spiritual challenges that we don't have now, but it, it reflects like a, a very specific problem. And I think it's really interesting because you're very much in contrast to a lot of the modern American spiritual ethos. When you look at people like Joel Austin or these people who are just all about the prosperity gospel and their whole, I mean, like they're coming at it from like a theoretically positive place, but it's very much about attracting more stuff. And it's like, well, if you're a good person, you'll, you'll get the stuff that you want. Like you'll be rich, you'll be, and like, that's so prevalent, even just like with new age people, there's just a lot of like the manifestation and like the secret. And like, I'm not 
I, I mean, I manifest stuff all the time, so I'm not <laughs> no, disparaging it, but like the, the focus on being on like drawing stuff to you that's external is even in quote unquote spiritual places, very prevalent in America. So I feel like you're providing a very different message. Well, what is prosperity really? If you were to think about it, what is living an abundant life? It's certainly not stuff. Abundance to me and prosperity, you live in joy. Now, of course, we don't always live in joy and we have our bad days. And there's days we look at our husband and go, oh God. (laughs) But in all, I, I know I'm married to the right man. He's wonderful. But, but at the same time, you go through your stuff because that's life. But to be, it's like my father used to say, if you like your job, you'll be successful. You got to love what you do. And he would say that if you love it 90% of the time, you're in a great place. Well, I think of joy the same way. Live in joy and you're in a great place. And, and living in joy, for me, if I don't have my quiet time, I forget. It's like, it's like the noise of the world just goes, hi, I'm here. Come out and play. And I forget. And we, where we just bought, we're renting a house down in Milford. So it's more city-like where I live, as you have seen, there's nobody there. So I was driving yesterday and I, I didn't start my day with quiet. And I found myself laughing at myself because I found myself like getting mad at the other drivers there's sort of a rule here that when the light turns green, you count to three before you go, because at least one or two cars is going to go through that red light. So you, but you sort of know that, but you, the driving after not being around traffic for 10 years, it's like, ah, <laughs> and I found myself not following anything I, I, I talk about, but it made me laugh. And I caught on to it. And that's the thing, what you were talking about, the prosperity theories and stuff like that. One thing terrible about it is people go, wow, I've not succeeded in creating more. Oh, oh, the shame and the guilt. That must mean I'm not a good person. And what am I doing wrong? You might not be doing anything wrong. What, what, something attracts your life to things in this lifetime. And what if your job is to smile at people as they come out of a store? And how about I met this kid in um, Big Y one day. He taught me more with his smile and his joy. Here, this, You know, people would go, oh, poor kid. I'm telling you, he was abundant because he lived in joy. That's really lovely. He, he actually, can I take your stuff to the car for you? I don't mind. And I went to give him a dollar. No, no, I did this just because I wanted to. It's also humbling because you realize sometimes, you know, we, we put ourselves like, oh, somebody can't teach you anything. Anybody, everybody could teach you something if you allow them to. I know my kids starting at little ages taught me so much. That's one thing I wanted to ask you about from the perspective of parenting because you talk about in little sailboat you talk about raise well the things that come into your life to that you need to take care of which I love like this sort of separation there that you give like something that comes into you very much seem to or at least in the book it comes across that you are seeing 
children as, you know, their own people who you are there to take care of, but like some, someone that chose to come into your life, as opposed to like, I made this, it's mine, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which I feel like is, is a hard thing with parenting, but even just in like your most recent blog post, you talked about using more natural solutions to health issues and stuff like that when your kids were little and how that could be alienating. So I guess I'm just kind of asking about how your spiritual practice has benefited your parenting. I am definitely a much better parent became, but it was slow. It wasn't overnight, but when you live from your ego, I mean, even your kids, it's somehow it ends up about you. Like for, for example, oh, my kid's great at this. Oh, look at that. And they're going to be great at that, or they're going to be great in sports or, and it's what you're doing is you think you're complimenting your kid, but in actual, if you just sit with it, you want it for you. So you could live through them. So the closer you get to God or source or divine or nature, whatever you want to call it, because if you don't, I know people who don't believe in God, but they could go sit in nature. And in my eyes, nature is God too. So it just doesn't matter what you call him. But as you get closer, you, the ego gets softer and softer. It gets quieter because the, the other voice, that quiet voice, you start wanting to listen to it more and more. And as you do, oh, it just changes the things you, you all of a sudden they're not your kids. The reason my, my, um, email is CNK taxi, the three initials of my kids taxi is in my name, but I was just a taxi car driver. I got them delivered into the world <laughs> and now it's their turn to figure out what life is all about. And it's not a reflection on me at all. It's, it's what they choose because you could be a terrible parent and somehow the kids are wonderful or you could be a wonderful parent where the kid goes to the left or to the right whatever and I'm not talking politically I'm just saying like they go down a road that you don't understand but it doesn't mean it's wrong and my I used the example one time um um Graham's son Frank Graham who is now running the organization when he was younger he rebelled against his father and he went off on a motorcycle. He did all sorts of things that weren't right. So was that bad? Look at where it led him. He needed to go through it. And even if you don't come out of something in this lifetime, who is anybody to say, maybe that is what you needed to go through in this lifetime. I always say the universe is indifferent. Yes. Like the universe only provides you with the opportunity. Something we might see in our human and our ego as a bad thing happening to us is really just another opportunity as far as the universe or source is concerned. Yeah. And I think when we start accepting and trusting our experiences as our lessons mm -hmm. and that it's not bad or good, if you were a CEO of something and all of a sudden you lose your job and everything falls apart, is that bad? Maybe you're being taught humility. You have to open your heart to go, okay, what am I learning now? What is being provided to me? And actually, it's not that God took it away from you. You 
you yourself decided that you were done with that and ready for something else because we do Mm -hmm. co-create. Maybe you're ready to give up on the ego in that center of the world. Who knows? Maybe you're just tired. I don't know because I don't understand any of that, but I do know we co-create. I mean, we create something as simple as buying something for the house, a flower arrangement. You've chosen to create that for a reason. You've chosen to put those flowers in the house for a reason. Do you find yourself retroactively looking back and saying like, oh, there was the reason, or are you just kind of like very zen about things like (laughs) not because I'm always like analyzing, I'm like, oh, this had to happen. So this could happen. I see now, but I feel like I could even just, that's probably like my next layer to shed would be like even trying to do that math, you know? (laughs) But I think that's cleansing when you do that. If you think about it, um, I recently did that with something that I had problems with somebody for a long time. And all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. I guess I caught an aha moment happened. And all of a sudden I had such gratitude because without that relationship, I wouldn't have grown the way I did. It set the direction. You talk a lot about tough relationships in your blog. You have your your Georgias who are people who are difficult for you to deal with. It's not for listeners. It's not an actual person named George. It's just, (laughs) there are characters in Teresa's blog, including Georgias, Screaming Mimi's, the ego. You have Mary's Mary's who are helpers in this world. But yeah, you talk a lot about dealing with difficult relationships. And I'm always inspired because your big thing is like not to judge. And that being the root of a lot of things. And I do think that uh, for me personally, my mind is always like, you're not judging. You're just correct. You're just observing correctly what's happening. <laughs> like this, this is just a very straightforward observation of what's happening. But I, I know like if I can reflect later, I'm like, no, that was judging the situation. Who would you say, where did, where did you learn that? I mean, I know it's obviously something that you, have to keep practicing every day but what's your biggest influence in that concept I I think I'm a Libra I'm a Libra so it's like maybe this but maybe that and I've got a lot of that but if I was a dog I'd be a golden retriever and a bloodhound you know go get what I want but gotta love me you know (laughs) and and so I think I and I like people and I always have I I love people. I think they're great. So, and when a friend would hurt me from, I can't even, I think this was from the time I was a little kid. The way I saw it was they wouldn't have, they didn't mean to hurt me because a friend doesn't mean to hurt you. This, it might've come out wrong. It might've this or that, but I, and I guess I truly believe, which I know my husband thinks the opposite is that I I don't believe there's a bad person in this world or ever was at the depths of who they are. Now they, there are people that live in such extreme pain that they feel like they have to control everything. Dictators or, you know, they, they just have to control, but somewhere deep inside of them, God can't create bad. If he creates in the image of love, 
himself, which is love, how can there be bad? There can't be. There could be people who live in such pain, their actions are bad, but that doesn't make them bad. There was a line that um, I can't, I, a Baptist friend said to me one time, a sin is a sin is a sin. And I thought that was hogwash, you know, hey, I steal a candy bar, I kill somebody, it's not the same. But I've come to see it in a way it is. Both are actions that are calling for love. Everything is either a call for love or a response in love. Like you're either being loving or you're not being loving and you're calling for love to help you through it. That's beautiful. I love that you mentioned like, this is what a Baptist friend said. And you often write about from the perspective of having been raised Catholic. And I know that you went to, um, you, you did shamanic training, you, uh, your guru, Ron, and other people who I've, I've seen you quote, and, uh, you know, Rumi, who's a uh, Muslim Sufi writer, you, you touch on Buddhism, you touch on all these different influences. And somehow when you read your book, you don't have to say any of that. Like, <laughs> you don't bring any of those things into it. It's just, you have this really great knack for sim- synthesizing all those things and seeing them as different facets of of one thing, which you usually describe as God, as love. But even earlier, you said, you know, nature, source, whatever you want to call it. Did you feel like naturally inclined to blend these things into one or... I was, take some work to get out of that Catholic, Catholic. I was really Catholic. I went to mass every day, daily communicant, definitely had the guilt of, oh my God, I, I have to go to confession. Couldn't, you know, uh, Father Keating always said he came to believe that if you felt guilt for more than two seconds, you were neurotic. Well, I was neurotic. I was, I, I could carry my guilt around for weeks before I could let it go. Even guilt over things that didn't even bother somebody else, but it's like, oh, I might have bothered them, and 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 it was okay when somebody did the exact same thing to me. I was fine. I didn't care. But when I did it to somebody, I was living like, oh, oh, oh. And one of the reasons I think I started Ron. Ron is the person that I started going and exploring other things. I met him he was working with my daughter and I can remember the first time I took her to him because she had terrible Lyme disease and the medication wasn't working and I had heard about him. So we went and we were sitting there and all of a sudden my throat was getting really scratchy as we were sitting there and going, and he looks at me and I looked at him and said, what's a doofus look you're giving me? (laughs) And he, his response was, when are you going to start being who you are? you're beautiful. And I went, whoa. And the next day I woke up so sick. I thought, oh my God, I have to work with this guy now. Cause I was, I was in bed for two weeks after that. And I was, I wasn't even the person he was working on, but he said, my soul just popped in and decided it wanted it. And it just jumped right into the action. And I've been with him since. But when I went to him, I was so scared. What am I doing? Am I going to somebody? Is this evil? Should I be doing this? 
And then after that, slowly but surely, I started looking into other things because I was like, I wanted all my fears gone around religions, around reading your cards or, or whatever it was. I wanted it all gone. And so I, I chose to do things to get rid of my fear of it. And I found beauty. Actually, amazement. Because like the first time I had my cards read, it really dawned on me that even getting your cards read, don't, you don't have to like think what they say is going to happen because that's up to you. Because the minute you hear the words, you have a choice of what you're going to do with them. Are you going to move in a different direction? Are you going to stay in the same direction? So even the moment something is said to you, everything changes. And I found that really cool. As a tarot reader, I almost exclusively try to use them as like a psych psychological tool but then when you're reading for someone else there's obviously you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) then you obviously have to be like you're not just like this is what you're thinking about you have to write the story write the narrative and see how it affects things because I get similar to a conversation I was having with my mom recently who's also an intuitive she's a psychic medium and we were talking about doing readings for people and talking about like how when someone engages in a reading with you and there it allows more possibilities to open up in the reading itself like and I can speak to that for myself as an intuitive like if I do a reading for someone and they're just very like shut off and they just want to listen there it's harder to find a place for what is really going to resonate to land and it's not like a I need people to tell me what to think but or tell me where to go but it it's there's an acceptance there right there's an opening up of like, this is the messages I'm here and ready to receive. Yes, I, I think that was well put. It is an opening. It's you're saying, yes, I want to learn. No, go ahead. And I was going to say, I like your psychology point of view, because I one reader said to me one time, pick a card every day for a couple of months and see what message over the long term you're getting. Mm-hmm. What it, What are you trying what is it? What, what are you working on? And see it that way. I've never been patient enough to make it a couple of months. I make three or four days and then I forget. But I thought, I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> My theme lately is the uh, 10 of wands, just <laughs> carrying a giant bundle of sticks. <laughs> when you talk about Ron, so he, the capacity that you brought your daughter to him he's an energy energy healer is that like his main how yes. would you describe Ron because I've I've heard so much about Ron but I I'd love to hear more and also just you know shout him out since we're talking about him here on this podcast okay so his name is Ron D'Amico and you can find him on rondemico.com d-a-m-i-c-o and Ron when I first met him he was a healer I know people who were healed of cancer and you know, but as he's grown, his healing, what he wants more than anything is healing the spirit. Because you heal your spirit, you get rid of dis-ease because you don't need it in your, your body w- will correct itself. And I love it because I, 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 it helps me to grow in spirit. I, 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 get new viewpoints that like when I, sometimes when I first hear him talk, I have no clue what he's trying to say. 
it's not that he doesn't explain it well, it's just over my head. But then like three months later, I, I understand it. So energetically, he doesn't only talk the words, he energetically feeds those words to you. I think that's the best way I could explain it, but it does. And I know because sometimes when he's working on me physically, I like sometimes I'll go, you're in my brain right now because I could feel like little needles going in my head. And I know he's working on something in my brain or I'll know where he is in my body. And a lot of times like he, he'll tell you like all of a sudden your back hurts and where, when it wasn't hurting and now it does. And he, he'll tell you in my case, your life, you were always prepared to be shut down. So you stiffened up your back a lot. And now all that is starting to release. So you're actually feeling the muscles starting to relax and it's painful because your body has been so tight. So you didn't even notice it. Does he come from like a specific school or is this all just kind of like an intuitive gift that he has just been born with? He, he was born with it. He did not have an easy upbringing and he would say to you, but it's also, he was different from the time he was a little boy. Like he was an Episcopalian and even at a very young age before he hit double digits, right? He would go into church and just not understand some of the things. Like stuff like um, give your money to the church, right? And the guilt, like they're saying, the guilt if you don't give money to the church, the guilt that you have to, uh, uh, what do you call it, when you have to give 10%, because that's what the tithing. Old Testament, yeah. tithing, and he never understood that, because the church would say, money's evil, but then they say, give me your money, <laughs> and he figured that out by the time before he was 10 years old, I found that very interesting, so, okay. and then of of course, he went through his stuff too. And he, I guess, and I don't know when it happened, he started getting so sick. He went to uh, somebody who was an energy worker. And that's when he had to, do, he said he had to do a total change in his life if he was going to live through it because he was different. He definitely has a huge calling and living a life that other people can live in, they're okay, you know. Uh, because they're, they're, they're respecting who they are right then and there at that time, but he was not. And so his whole body was just revolting against him. And then he loved it so much. He went into it himself. That makes me think of the phrase my mother-in-law always uses, which is if God puts his hand on you, then God help you. Like just you're, you're dealing with another level of challenges if you are given gifts or you're meant to do something yeah. like your body will not operate the way other people's bodies <laughs> I think that's I see true. that a lot with the more both the more spiritual people I know and the people who should should be more disciplined in their uh, personal practice who maybe aren't having a tough time with it like seeing the way that it'll just manifest very physically and literally for those sort of high high vibrating people <laughs> And I know, I, I know if I changed my eating and alcohol more, my vibration would go up and I'll, t I'll take off. And yet I, in that way, I have no discipline. Other ways I'm, I'm disciplined, but in that way, I don't like before we got online, what did I have? 
I had a hot dog with the works, you know, <laughs> not good, not good for the vibration, but Hey, I like him. My, my, my husband always says I'm an, a baloney addict. He was, <laughs> he got in my car and he found a half a piece of baloney. I, I guess I dropped it. He goes, <laughs> You have some explaining to do. <laughs> That's so funny. My mom keeps snacks in her car and she calls it her carcuterie. A, a oh, bologna like would be perfect in a carcuterie. <laughs> I like that. I like to think of foods like that that are maybe not nourishing to our body as nourishing to our soul. And that is part of my way of making it right with my soul. <laughs> Well, you know what? I did. It wasn't helpful and it was very normal. So I'm not complaining about my lunches when I was a teenager. Okay. <laughs> or my breakfast was cereal, which by the way, my kids breakfast was cereal. Cause I wasn't going to make breakfast. My mom would give us a lunch. We'd have a sandwich. Of course, mine was bologna most of the time. And mm. then a devil dog and a coffee cake. I had it all. And <laughs> Then I wonder why I have trouble getting rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> because there's that, these links. It's because food is also it's I mean, it's nourishment, right? Regardless of whether the nutrients are actually there in the food. And there's there's so much nostalgia tied to food. Yeah, well, when I don't know when you're sad. Oh my my kids know when I'm sad. A, I cook a lot. I love to cook. <laughs> B a lot of times it's going to be like mac and cheese, maybe a meatloaf and some vegetables, but more of the potatoes and the rice. Mm. And uh, because that growing up, that was, it brings back memories. It mm -hmm. triggers memories. No, I definitely crave the things that were, that are nostalgic for me when I'm, when I'm in a place where I'm not emotionally like where I'd yeah. like to be I would say yeah. and one of those things for me is 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 just buttered toast um oh lots of butter <laughs> my great I used my I was really fortunate when I was really little I lived on a property um with my parents and my my grandparents and my great-grandmother lived in another house like there was a barn between us it was the is the old uh farmstead that was my great-grandfather's dairy farm in the house my grandmother grew up in and then her mom lived in addition and I would like wander up to my great-grandmother's house and she would make me like buttered toast because it was I would, it just made me the happiest <laughs> okay and so I always add, think of her then when I have buttered toast I'm gonna add to that what I was given when mm -hmm. I was little was buttered toast with mm -hmm. cinnamon sugar on top of it mm. <laughs> and my mom it did honey melt into the butter <laughs> So good. <laughs> I once found uh, something that my husband wrote as a teenager. We found it in some like just a pile of stuff that his mom gave us to get out of her house. And it was like <laughs> recipe for a perfect evening. And it was cinnamon sugar toast, among other things that we don't need to get into. But, <laughs> but his teenage idea of a perfect evening culminated with cinnamon sugar <laughs> toast. <laughs> Was, oh, I still make it time to time. Mm -hmm. There's a new Girl Scout cookie that's uh, cinnamon toast crunch that. based. They've oh, caught on to it. I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to go back on. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm trying to think. I feel like we have meandered very well into chatting about food and all kinds of things. Well, with that said, one of the things I want to say about food, but it's not food. It has more to do with why I like to talk about stuff like that is, and Mother Charlotte would say this, I never want anybody to put me on a pedestal because Mother Charlotte was treated on a pedestal and it would really upset her because when you're up here, you only have one place to go. (laughs) You know, you make a mistake and you get dropped. But the thing is, there isn't a person who isn't doing this journey, no matter no matter where you are in the journey. And I, we're all in the same place, actually. We're, we're all, we just have, we haven't figured, we, people have figured it out in different portions. But the thing is, you know, like yesterday, when I was driving in a busy area for the first time in a long time, I found myself going, I can't believe he just did that, you know? And with a little bit of an extra word in there. And, and then I would laugh. And the point is, you think, oh, I won't do that anymore. And then you're in a situation (laughs) where you're triggered again. So the point is, you just keep learning and learning. And I, I think it's very valuable for people to hear somebody that they think, wow, look how far they've come. And to hear that they're no different. They're still doing some of the same things and maybe not as much, but they still make the mistake. They still judge. I mean, I I had to, I was saying the Hopo Ono prayer in my car like all day yesterday because of all mm-hmm. judgment I was making. And what was really funny, because it would happen like that, I would judge somebody for cutting me off and then I accidentally cut somebody else off. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. So it's good in my eyes to share, to be vulnerable, to say, I do this, to help other people know that it just doesn't go away. It's a process and it's okay. I think that's something that really comes across in your, in your book, The Littlest Sailboat. I've been spending a lot of time with it lately, editing videos of you reading it and definitely had some reminders for myself this weekend when I was, or this Friday, Saturday, when I was working on it recently, Um, I was kind of going through some of my own stuff stuff like (laughs) like we all are and you know it's just it's it's beautiful to me that I that the right things come in at the right moments and I was like I was listening to it and I was laughing to myself because the that part of the book that I was in was like a nice little reminder for me as well and I am someone that wholeheartedly believes that the best teachers are those who continue their study as students yeah I think in some, because I've seen other energy workers, Reiki or whatever, mm-hmm. and I have found the ones that do extremely well are only the ones that keep growing. Mm-hmm. And they're not afraid of growth. Like, for example, Ron, I've seen him, like when I first started with him, there was a certain core group of people. And slowly that started changing as he was growing and his his message was getting deeper and some people would fall away going, yeah, no. And more Mm -hmm. other people would start showing up. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to keep growing and it's important to always know there's always more work to do Mm -hmm. and you'll get the lessons as long as you keep saying yes. And usually even if you say no, (laughs) (laughs) maybe just more in an extreme way. (laughs) One of the Marys in my life, 
we will, you know, one of us will do something and the other one will correct them. And it sort of is painful when you correct because you know, it's going to come right back at you in a matter of weeks, like Mm -hmm. the same correction. You're going to, well, I hate to say, sometimes I'll correct her in how she's a different way of looking at it. And I go, I really hate doing this because I know very shortly, you're going to be saying the same thing back to me. And sometimes that's a good way to learn. And you just know you could see something for somebody else, but the reason you see it is because it's in you too. Is that they say that I lost the saying, but I'll just kind of uh, <laughs> abbreviate it in some way is generally the things that annoy us most in people are things that are a reflection of something within ourselves. Yes, that is true. And they say, I read this in a psychology book one time, that often in marriages where something goes sour and it's Mm -hmm. not working, a lot of times it's the very thing they fell in love with Mm. that then is annoying. Like a person is attentive to be, I, I met this guy one time, obviously this is not my husband, but I could see where when this, if this guy was married, where it could end up turning a problem, even though it would have been the thing that was so attractive. Mm -hmm. When he chooses to sit with you, he's 100% with you. He doesn't look at his watch and go, I have another appointment or another thing. When he is present, he's totally present. There's no sense of time. Now, if you were the wife, you might like at first think, wow, what a beautiful person. But when you're waiting to go out for your anniversary dinner and he's not there yet because he's being present to somebody, you could see where that can become. (laughs) And you have to remind yourself that it is what you first loved. I'm thinking about that on so many levels. (laughs) (laughs) I I can remember my mom asking me a a question related to that at some point, not with my, my fiance, in my relationship with my fiance, but a previous relationship, but lasted a long time and I remember her asking me what was it that made you fall in love with them and she's like are you willing to hate that about them that feels really harsh (laughs) but but based on the trajectory of that relationship that really was the way that that it went (laughs) My, my husband is so patient it is something I love about him but it was also something that was hard because it's like he'd be so patient with the kids and I wanted to get going it was time to go we have an appointment we gotta go and he would calmly sit and wait for them and and I'm like no we gotta go now (laughs) but I watched him I had a friend with me a while back and I watched him with her and she was going through some stuff and I watched his patience and it was like wow all over Mm -hmm. again it was beautiful. And I'm glad I could see it that way again. Yeah. It's really nice. I have a tendency to like blur the lines between my myself and other people, I guess, as we all do when we're projecting these things, but I will like really, really want someone to change something in their life. And then I'll just... <laughs> 
change it and they're like it happens with my husband all the time well like it'll be something stupid like you need to take better care of yourself and then like I just start taking better care of myself I'm like oh that fix <laughs> that fix the problem <laughs> he'll take care of himself at his own time things like that where it's like oh this is just 100 percent me blurring the line between myself and others and it's an interesting like everything has two sides so spiritually someone who has a hard time seeing division between different people like that's a really beautiful quality right like that's like an understanding of oneness and interdependence and these things that we love but then like the flip side of that is trying to control other people or go out you know try trying to control outside your boundaries because you can't identify that that's not you like you're you know you have to but what is control really if you think about it doesn't exist (laughs) well it it doesn't exist but it's also fear and it because everything boils down to fear or love so control is fear and I could remember when as before I was doing the process trying to control my kids worst thing you could possibly do is trying to control kids because they, they're their own people. And I think the way that's so much better is allow them, help them grow the way they want to grow, help them learn what they want to learn. If they want to be in the sport and you know, you're an artist. Okay. Okay. If that's the gift, you, you know, it's like chariots of fire when his line, and I didn't see the movie, but I was told about the line. It was something like, I have to run. Because he knew that was his gift from God. And that all the joy in the world was in running. And I, I think instead of trying to control and push them in a do- direction, I've seen, you know, everybody has seen families where they wanted all their kids to be doctors or lawyers or this or that, or fall in the footsteps. Well, that's not helping them be expressive of who they are meant to be. And if you allow them, then maybe who they're meant to be ends up being closer to what you wanted than you thought it would be, too. Well, I, 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 <laughs> I, well yes. You know what is, and I didn't do this I, actually till they were adults, where I really finally started getting it that it, what they do for a living doesn't matter. It's if you are, they are so successful if they figure out living inside out instead of outside in. Mother Teresa said one time, the most impoverished nation in the world was America, was the United States. Because Mm -hmm. they had so much, they were not working with their souls. I feel like this is a bit of a sidetrack, but Mother Teresa is one of my favorite spiritual figures because I read her, I don't know if it was, journals or some some sort of autobiographical thing that came out when I was in college and it revealed that she had basically had like a 50-year crisis of faith where she wasn't sure if God was there but she just kept doing it anyway I have a view about that because I read that and I think as we get that happened okay so I've heard it said that uh the dark night of the soul was actually your ego 
giving up your ego. And it screams mm. like crazy not to go. And to me, I've come to think of the dark night of the spirit as I, and I think of Mother Teresa. That's why I'm, I'm bringing this up. The dark night of the spirit is when you start getting into such oneness. Like right now, when I feel God, it's, it, I, feel, I know he's with me, right? Or her, whatever. But she got to a point where there wasn't a separation. So the ego is going, where's God? Where's God? But you've entered such a level of oneness that you're, the ego is not realizing God is. God is. And you, you're, you have become Christ. And I think that's the dark night of the spirit. That's a really interesting take. How would you know God is separate from you if you got to the point that you were one? And then because you were separate, you were never separate, but you were for so many years, you live as if you're separate and all of a sudden you're one. I could see where that can throw you off. That's a really, that puts a different light on, you know, the crucifixion when he says, father, why have you forsaken me? That it was actually this moment of complete oneness yeah. and enlightenment rather than having been forsaken. That's fascinating. I never even thought of that. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that all day now. <laughs> we we do a good job. I remember thinking when I was first like, okay, what do you want of me? And I was thinking, Oh, please don't let this happen to me or that. I don't want to be crucified. But I, you know what? We don't have to be crucified. We do such a good job at crucifying ourselves all the time, you know? And, yeah. and it's time to give it up and enter the paradise that's meant for us by living by spirit. Live life with a capital L letting life flow through you instead of this is my life. It's a life that flows through you. And that life is love. That's a nice little synchronicity too, because I've had this song stuck in my head for like a week now, the Tori Amos song crucify, which is the lyrics are like, why do we crucify ourselves every day? It's just almost verbatim what you just said. And I find that I have these little moments when I talk to you where I'm just like, that to me says that, uh, a like we're in each other's paths for a reason and b like it's just like a a click for me like yep this is where you're supposed to be this is what's supposed to be because you'll just say these things like Megan and I like spent like hours on our drive home from when we saw you talking about how crazy it was not crazy that how mind-blowing it was the things that you would say that were just exactly what we had just been talking about mm-hmm. That spirit, that's oneness, (laughs) but that's oneness. That's, I mean, I just find that so cool. Like the phone rings and you're going, wow, I just was thinking about you. You know, (laughs) it's, it's just wonderful when you start, when you start realizing you really can't be alone, but can you send me, text me the name of that song? I'm going to have to listen to it because I've never heard it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) A nineties, uh, 
she's like a pianist well she is she's she's still around she's she's a pianist singer songwriter like an alternative singer from the 90s but great very 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 good piano player my husband plays her song sometimes on the piano and it's you know like months and months to learn like one page of them (laughs) i have been listening um to now that we have internet oh boy um some songs that i i call it it's ruth fazell radio on pandora but it goes into she's um she's a spiritual writer but some of her songs have no words but you can feel you can feel the the notes and some of her songs have words like she has one called abba and because she went to israel and she did an album in Israel where she sings in Hebrew and you could start crying and you don't even know what's being said, but you feel it. But also on the radio were our hymns that I grew up with and they mean so much more now than they ever did because they, they're deeper than they were like, uh, you know, what was, what's the one um, where, where it's like, songs where where christ you know when when you gave me something to drink somebody something to drink you gave it to me when you were thirsty you gave me a drink and uh, and it just means so much more now because even even going to mass every day i didn't pick up on any of this stuff like christ lives in you well how could it's not that jesus christ lives in you which is, of course, how I thought of it. It's that Christ, who is us, lives in us. And Jesus, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the light, he's just saying, I've become Christ, and you can too. Just follow it. I know when I started practicing Gnosticism, it was just like, it's like a magic eye or something, where you're like, Oh, everything that I have read a million times or heard a million times, like, I just, as you say, put on a different pair of glasses and everything means something new. Like even like, you know, the Lord's prayer, something you just say over and over. And one day I just like heard it different and it's like, oh my God, this is beautiful. I feel like that's, that's a a gift that you give in your writing and something that if anyone's listening to this and you want to go beyond the little sailboat reading Teresa's blog, it's, you know, the phrase put on another pair of glasses is one that you use frequently about just looking at things differently. And uh, you manage to like very, just like simply and beautifully bring up these points that you could just see something differently that you've looked at a thousand times, which is really nice. Can you, I, I would like to read a book on us. I never read a book on one. I mean, I've learned about them and how th- they killed off so many because they were afraid of it because they went deeper. Mm-hmm. So I, I see that a little bit like um, the Sufis, you know, going one step deeper or, or the Kabbalah. Is that, yeah, mm-hmm. going one step deeper. So I would love to read a book on it if you could, can send me one that you think would be good to read and have an understanding of it. Okay, yeah. Not just the history, because that's all I really studied was the history. Yeah, I think 
Elaine Pagel says, or I'm not sure if that's how you say her last name, but it's P-A-G-E-L-S. Um, but she is, I think, like known for like the definitive text of the history of like, hey, this is what Gnostics were. But there's, yeah, there's a lot of good resources. I would agree with like how you described it. Like if I, I would, you know, give that simile, like Gnostics are to Christianity as Sufis are to Islam. Like it's just the the mystic version of where, where some people will say it's the Buddhist version of Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely get you. Thank you. Send you a book. Good. Cause then I'll start writing about it as I start understanding it. <laughs> it's, it's basically how you already describe Christianity. It's it's basically just you're you're Gnostic without reading any of it. <laughs> Are there any good. remaining thoughts or anything that you want us to include in about the book or yourself or no, what I would like is just to say don't beat yourself up. See everything as just a lesson. You're not gonna get graded because in the end you're gonna get an A. Because that's what it's all about. You do it over and over again. And God doesn't really care if it takes you 50 times, or in my case, a lot more than 50 times for some of the lessons. But don't beat yourself up over it. It's, a, it's such a waste of time. And you're just crucifying yourself. And, and that is, God just wants us to find out who we are. Mm. To know, to remember. RE dash members, to remember who we are not to find out because we already are thank you so much for being on our first ever podcast episode thank you (laughs) I had so much fun I I just love talking about this stuff and sharing because everybody helps everybody else it was wonderful thank you